Retain Podcast. All right, here we are back with another episode of Gangrel Retain. You got Jay with you today. Jeff is uh, my cohort on this podcast. Is out. He's golfing today, Tessa. So okay, uh, <laughs> golf tournament. Yeah, but I've got Tessa Thornburn with me from Loom, who uh, has become a, a a good friend over the past. A couple of months, we got to meet in person out in Denver not too long ago. It was awesome. So, Tessa, where where are you today? Are you in Denver? Yes, I am in Denver. That's I'm I'm actually from Boulder, so one of those rare Colorado natives. But I've been in Denver the, for the past like twelve years. Awesome. And Boulder is like the the cooler part of Denver, right? We, 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 yeah. We're still telling anybody who said that, but yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Part right, of Colorado. Cool. Yeah. Say say it again. Would you say, I'm sorry. Well, there's the coolest part of Colorado. It's like, oh, the whole state. Away. yes, yes. Awesome. Yeah. Boulder's a cool town. Um, well, awesome. So you work with a company called Loom. Tell us just a little bit about Loom. I'm sure some of the listeners are aware of it like we are, but tell us about yes, it. Yes. If you're not familiar with Loom, Loom is just an easy way to record and share video messages at work. Um, really to help with productivity. Um, so you get the focus of that asynchronous work, uh, but then it's you can make it fun and personalized and emojis. Um, we just uh, released our Loom AI. So now you can have auto summaries and auto titles. So a lot of exciting stuff at Loom right now. That's very cool. And we we use you. We're, so what we're going to talk about today is scaling customer success, which is a topic near and dear to both of our hearts. But we actually use Loom at Higher Logic to do sort of what you said. Our CSMs record a, a Loom video on a quarterly or sorry, a monthly basis, and they send it to their entire book of business. So they feel like they're getting that personalized touch from their CSM, but actually we're they're communicating to their entire customer base at one at one time, which is really cool. It's a good scale strategy. Yes, yes. I think Loom. Right yeah, Loom is the perfect uh, way to scale your customer success. We use it a ton. I, and we actually ran a webinar where we talked about using Loom for scaled CS. And the async QBR was definitely like the most common use case. Uh, yeah, and like, I think that's the best way to talk about Loom is use cases. Um, my personal favorite is the pre-watch, like sending a Loom before uh, you have a meeting. Um, but async QBR is also really, really common as well. Okay, well, let's definitely dig into both of those things because there, there's a lot of value in what you just said there, and we got to unpack it. Um, so, but let's talk about just the conceptually scale customer success first. We, you, you've been at Loom for a while. You've done a lot of great things there. You've, you've been involved in both the revenue side and the customer adoption and retention side. So, but talk to me about how you think about, like, what does scale customer success mean to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like you said, uh, lead all of customer success at Loom. So that is everything post-sale. So onboarding all the way through, we actually own renewal and expansion as well um, within customer success. Scaled customer success, um, definitely a hot topic right now. I mean, for me, I think it's just, you know, driving the most impact and realizing the most outcomes uh, in the most efficient way possible. And we'll talk about, I, I know I've talked to you about how I've kind of a love-hate relationship with this concept of realizing outcomes. So we'll talk about that in a second. But I do think that uh, that driving impact is really key. Um, and I'm sure you heard like, there's a lot of different ways to do scaled customer success through programs. So like webinars and community. I also think that scaled customer success is still one-on-one -on -one interactions. 
I just think that it's creating a system for prioritizing when and why and how we have those one-on-one -on -one conversations. Because one-on-one interactions we know still moves the needle, um, but just making sure you're you're doing it in, a, in an efficient way and really meeting the customer where they're at. Right. Yeah. Can, can you can you move the needle in a less cost intensive way, I guess, is, is the question that we're, we're searching for. But yeah, I mean, CSMs are a channel just like, I hate to, I don't want to diminish a CSM, but it's a channel just like an email communication or a webinar, right? It's just a very high touch expensive channel. So we have to be careful with how we use it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Okay, that's cool. All right. So, um, so I guess when you think about what, what the task that you have ahead of you and what you've actually done over the past several years at Loom, like where are some areas that you have focused on in terms of building scale into your programs? Because you all are a true PLG type company, right? Product-led growth. So like scale is the name of the game in your world, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think a big learning for me over the past three and a half years is our customer success team, like I mentioned, owns renewals. And when you own renewals, that's always going to be your number one priority. So I think a big learning for me is, you know, we're a startup. So we had a team of a bunch of generalists kind of owning the whole post onboarding motion. Um, and I, I, when you own renewals, that's just, that pops up. That's always the priority. And so that's when I uh, really realized that we need to start to specialize. Um, and so I had to make the the case for that at Loom. Um, I was reporting to our CEO at the time. And so um, I really had to make a business case and understandably, like he's like, Hey, we're a startup. People have to wear a lot of hats. And so I really had to uh, explain to him like the value that we would get by creating these more specialized roles. And really how I did that was by proving it. I started with a really small experiment where I just took one person and put them into a program's role. Um, and right away, we were able to see adoption increase at scale. Um, and so, especially when you're talking to a CEO, you just have to bring them the numbers. Right. <laughs> you know? right. um, and then I was able to continue to build out more of these specialized roles. That's great. So can, can we unpack that a little bit? Because it's a really, uh, people have this question all the time, right? I have a, a team of CSMs who we were talking about a little bit in the pre-show too. People have a team of CSMs who are like, where do I start? I have these all these people, they know how to do high touch, one-to-one -one interaction, they're relationship oriented people. Like wh where do I even start? So you, it sounds like you've said, we have one person, we're going to carve this, it was Hadley, right? We're going to yeah, carve Hadley. Hadley off and we're going to do something different with her. So can you maybe unpack a little bit more about the things you tried in your experience? I want to talk about your experimentation process too, maybe later, because it's really cool. Yeah. So um, first of all, huge shout out to Hadley Springer. She is amazing. Um, but how I really realized her skill set was through um, this kind of exper experiment running that we do at Loom. Um, I think it's also a really good way to coach and to figure out what people are really good at. So um, I have my team, like if they, they have an idea for how they can drive impact, drive adoption, increase NRR, they come to me with a hypothesis. Um, they say like, hey, this is what it would mean to be successful. So it's usually numbers driven. Um, and then also we do a lot of pre-mitigation. So if this doesn't work out, like what will I do? How will I pivot? Um, and then we run these time boxed experiments. Um, happy to give some examples there, but 
what's great about this is you can realize where people need the most coaching. So, um, you know, maybe some people are really direct and great on those customer conversations, but they're not as strong with Salesforce reporting or the operations or the measuring success. Uh, so helpful for leaders to help coach their team. But this was also where I realized that Hadley was so operationally minded and would be so great at, at running this type of motion. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I was able, because again, you might have all these folks on your team that are really high touch uh, and you, they actually might be really good for this role and you just don't know it because you haven't kind of like leveraged them in that capacity. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. You asked me in the pre-show because I was telling you about a conversation I was just having with someone and, and you were like, how, how do you know that they're all high touch relationship people? Has anybody ever given them another task to do something else? Right. So uh, it's a good way to learn about their skill set and what they really love to do. Now, you talked a little bit about um, career pathing, too, as we thought about these special specialized sort of roles. So how, does, how do you think about career pathing for people relative to this? Yeah. Um, so we are, we're a really small team. So we definitely have to be really scrappy. I think a lot of companies are going through this right now where they're really trying to be efficient and not just throw headcount at everything. And so that can seem like, oh, this means they're not, there's not career growth or career opportunity for me at my company. Um, and I think that this, this specialization allows for career growth, even if you're not adding a ton of people to the team, um, so you figure out what people like and what they're really good at, and then you can create career path there. So we actually started with Hadley just running some of these programs and owning scaled. And now she's actually leading a team. So we actually brought in a renewal specialist. And, and so she's actually leading a, a, a team there. It's a really, really small team, but it's a really specialized team. Um, I have other folks who like when we started running these experiments, they just really gravitate towards the largest customers and running renewals and they're really commercially minded. And so we've kind of like specialized them and had them focus there. Some people love running like adoption programs. So um, we're able to create new titles and, and new focus um, and a new skill set just through specialization without, you know, adding headcount. Yeah. You can't always add managers, right? I mean, everybody wants, it's common in your early in your career, you think career progression means going up the ladder, but to your point, now's a great time. And probably a lot of us are going to be in the situation where you have to just say, okay, what else do I need to learn? I need to go horizontal and learn more rather than try to go up right now, because a lot of teams aren't growing right now. Right. Like they're just sort of staying flat. And I think a lot of people think, okay, you come in as a scaled CSM and then I work my way up to enterprise. But I think that whole notion is going away too, because yeah. you can be really, really strategic as someone who's running programs or um, you know, we have someone who's actually managing is a renewal specialist in scaled, and they're really focusing on like process efficiencies there. And so um, they're able to flex and still own the scaled book. It, it um, sometimes it takes your more senior people to run scale programs, right? Because you're, you're thinking in a different way. You're thinking you're playing chess, not checkers, right? Exactly. It, it give a really trite example. So um, yeah, that's very cool. So when you had Hadley start in this role, what were the first kind of programs that she started to put together? Yeah, so I, and this might sound a little bit basic, but we knew that for Loom, trainings were really important, not because it's super difficult to use. It's actually a really easy tool to use, 
Um, but that sometimes works against us because people are like, this is so easy. I've got this. I'll just record it for my one use case. So we realized that trainings for use cases were really, really key. Um, actually, a while ago at Loom, we were really focused on running webinars for more like thought leadership. And so we were doing things like how to work asynchronously and hybrid remote. And it was, and we were running all these webinars on thought leadership and not getting that much attendance. And it wasn't, we weren't able to drive impact from those conversations. And so we pivoted. And the first thing Hadley did was uh, worked with Brittany, who you got to meet at CS100 uh, to create th this use case webinar program. And I think we had something like 10,000 attendees across the series. It was crazy. It was like, a, um, and, you know, we invited our self-serve customers too. And it was a short webinar, 30 minutes, where we just reviewed five use cases for a specific persona. And it, I mean, it was the best feedback we received. Um, again, shout out to Brittany, uh, who runs, leads onboarding at Loom. Um, she was a huge help in that program. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to see her present uh what was it tuesday tuesday of this week yeah at cs 100 and she just killed it she killed it it was so good um well that that that's very cool and, and you know most people don't have ten thousand users on their products much less at one webinar so when you told me i think you you told me something even crazier in terms of the registration for that that webinar but it very specifically connects the the problem that you solved to the product and how you solve it so people are really going to be interested in it. those were all your customers or were they prospects as well they were all existing customers so again our, our self-serve basis has millions of users and then um we have annual contracted customers as well um and then larger customers that are dedicated team owns yeah that's all i mean think about the impact of that 30 minutes ten thousand customers was that 5,000 hours if you were to get on to a call with each of those customers independently? That's an extreme example of what we're talking about here. Yeah. That's yeah. very cool. Um, all right. So you started with some of this, the the sort of just the basics of training, enablement for your customers. Anything else beyond that that you've that you've done? Yeah, I think that the other really important piece was getting our our data in place and even segmenting within the customer base. So um, outside of self-serve, Hadley had something like 400 customers that she was looking at. So our whole long tail, some of these customers were on our business plan. Some of these customers were on our enterprise plan. Um, some of them had high usage, low usage. So just really starting to get a hold of the data and creating reports to put people into different segments, whether they were at risk, where they were in their customer journey. Uh, we really lean into this concept of utilization. So how a customer is pacing across time. Um, it's, a, it's a really great binary way to say like, how far are they into their contract? How many people are recording? And then you can just say whether they're pacing or, or not pacing. Um, so I think the next step was Hadley just getting her arms around the data so that she could start running programs and reaching out to, to customers. Yeah, I mean, it's so, so much of this is about, um, it's about choosing the right strategy. And strategy can be like a scary word because it's sometimes unclear what, what that actually means. But all it means is like, what problem are you trying to solve and how are you going to go solve it, right? So if you're looking at your entire customer base and you're saying, I need to go solve for, you know, at 87% retention gross, and I need to get to 90%, 
that's a very big thing. So, but if you break it down into smaller pieces and do what Hadley did, and what, I'm sure you were involved in that as well, but you break down the data and say, these are the segments, here's what the retention is, here's what the usage is in each of those segments from maybe it's the, the pricing plan that they're on, maybe it's the size of the organization, then you could build a specific program to address the specific problem that's keeping them from retaining at 90%. Exactly. Yeah. Instead yeah. of trying to be generic about it, well, we run QBRs or we run webinars, but that's not a strategy. That's just an activity unless you connect it to the outcome somehow. Yeah. Which- yeah. And and I think we also try and do a good job of, we, we try to capture success metrics and like, what are the outcomes at scale? Earlier, I mentioned I had this love-hate relationship with yeah. realizing outcomes. I absolutely think that's like the most important part of customer success, but with product-led growth and um, with the way that um, our pricing and packaging works, it really is about adoption at the end of the day. And so the value of capturing success metrics and figuring out like what are the outcomes that we're trying to drive is to parlay into adoption. So it always comes back to that. Like you could say, look at all of this ROI. You can say that to the customer, but at the end of the day, most oftentimes they're going to just be like, "That this is wonderful. We love we love Loom, but how many people have recorded in the last 90 days? Right. It's always going to kind of come back to that. And so we actually use success metrics, goals, outcomes to parlay always into adoption. Um, so like figuring out what a company's OKR is. We have a few customers where they um, had OKRs around their hackathons. And so we realized if we could make their hackathon really successful, you know, we're driving an outcome, but also you do that by recording Loom. So we're also driving adoption. So those things always have to be very tightly correlated. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea of um, understanding, like you mentioned hackathons. That's a really interesting insight, right? And you have to be listening to your customers to know like, okay, this is something that they're focused on. How do we help them make that successful? You're not trying to make Loom successful independently of the other business initiatives going on. So how do you listen like that at scale? How did you figure that out? Because surely you're not talking to every single customer that intimately to know that hackathons or whatever other types of programs that they run are, are a common thing. So how do you how do you get those insights? Yeah. Um, so again, I, I think a lot of scaled success is like going back to the basics because we actually find surveys really useful. Um, and we even we 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 use surveys quite a bit. We actually do um, a power user survey, and then we also do a six month renewal survey. Basically, we just ask customers like, are they renewing or not? And that helps us have more qualitative data along with our quantitative data to help determine like how to prioritize customers and who to reach out to and when and through what medium. Um, so we we rely on surveys quite a bit. Um, the other really cool program, when, when I listen to podcasts, I like to hear like really tangible things. And so um, I can walk through like some of the tangible programs we run. Um, one that is really cool is Hadley ran this power user How I Loom campaign. Um, At scale, it's really important. And I want to clarify the difference between power users and champions or advocates, right? Like you might have people that use your product a ton. That does not mean that they are a champion and that does not mean that they are advocating for you. So I think it's super key to turn your power users into champions. So she ran this campaign and 
you know, normally I'm not like the largest fan of like paying for people's lunch or things like that, but because they're power users anyway, we did offer them swag in exchange for recording a How I Loom video. So they actually recorded a loom saying how they loom, their favorite loom use case. And then depending on how many views they got internally, we'd give them a certain amount of swag. Um, so not only were they recording looms, but they were sharing it within their Slack channels and getting people to view their looms um, and getting other people to that aha moment where they could start recording too. That is awesome. It's like got a viral element to it, especially with your product. Like people know when they're receiving a loom video, right? And I like, uh, I also like how you're using loom as a verb. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, things. Loom as a verb. Um, yeah, and I mean, the, the best part too is then we had all of this content, all these use cases, because I mean, we can talk to our customers all day and run webinars about use cases, but the thing that's always going to resonate the most is if people, your peers, leadership are telling you how they use the product. That's for me, at least like when I use tools internally, I'm always looking to what my, my peers are doing. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's why, you know, you're on this podcast describing what it is you're doing because people want to hear like what are practitioners actually doing, what's working, what's not. Today's episode is sponsored by Higher Logic Vanilla. Stuck in the past with one-to-one -one engagement? With Higher Logic Vanilla, it's time to move past the status quo and go one-to-many. We call it scaled customer success, and it starts with community. More than just forums, community is the destination for engagement the place where customers become champions and build stronger connections. So let's go one-to-many together. Visit vanilla.hirelogic.com to shake up success. That's great. You said something earlier I want to come back to for just a second. Um, you were talking about the long tail of, of customers. And a lot of times, um, especially earlier stage companies, executives sort of think like, okay, yes, that scaled stuff is for the long tail because we don't want to talk to them as much, but actually what you just described, I mean, that, that transcends every segment of your business, right? These, these programs, like the, how you loom campaign. I mean, that, that touches everybody, right. From enterprise all the way down. So how do you think about, how do you think about long tail versus everybody else in your business? Yeah. So, um, again, it's back to this experiment approach. Um, so, we actually had also Hadley would record a weekly loom that I would share with leadership so they could see her impact um, about all of the experiments she's running, what's working and what's not. And so we would actually try them out with smaller customers. Um, so things like license allocation campaigns or um, activation campaigns or talking about a certain feature. So we'd run them with smaller customers. And then the ones that were really successful our strategic CSMs would go and they would actually push those campaigns to their end users as well. So it it also kind of created this, this little micro lab, um, which was really fun. Um, and, you know, sometimes you'd run programs and be like, okay, this did not move the needle at all. Let's not leverage this across our entire customer base. Let's not use this with our largest customers. Did you, uh, okay, so on that on that note, what did you try that didn't work as you started to, to scale? Anything that didn't work, work out so much? Yeah, so I think um, the the things that were really, I, I keep using this word tangible, but the license allocation campaign, that's just one where you're like, hey, IT admin, like you are only using this percentage of your licenses, like if you want to hop on the phone with me. And sometimes they're just not aware 
Um, and so that was actually a really successful campaign. It, it's like not anything super sexy. Uh, it's just like, hey, did you know that you're not using all of your licenses? Um, versus we then tried um, an activation, or I'm sorry, a change management webinar. I think that was the one that was probably the least successful. Um, and we tried pushing people to this change management web webinar, which that is less tangible. It's more lofty. It's more like, hey, come to this webinar. Here's some things about how to do change management. And people just didn't gravitate to that because again, I think it's like, there's not as much like what's in it for me. I think when you have short use cases, like you can start doing this tomorrow. Yeah. That's when people get excited and come to the webinar or respond to the emails or open the emails when it feels more like lofty change management in general, that just really wasn't, wasn't resonating. Most, most people don't use the words change management in their day-to-day -day work, right? Yeah. Especially if you're a frontline person who you probably want to be using Loom. It's more of a leadership type of concept and very specialized role. So that, that makes, that makes total sense. Um, I think when we were, when we met together in person, you also told me something about re-onboarding and how that wasn't, the, the terminology might've been yeah. off. Yes, or, yes, or yes. Um, actually, and so one thing that I do too, is I just try to like meet with peers weekly. So this was actually an idea that came from Monica present notion. Um, but I told her, uh, you know, onboarding is so key. We've specialized, we have this onboarding team. And as soon as we created this onboarding team, we were like, our time to value was increasing again, big shout out to Brittany and Liz on the team. Um, and so we thought, okay, well, let's run these same programs and re-onboard. So Hadley ran this campaign to try to get customers who had recently renewed to re-onboard. Um, and it was very unsuccessful. They just, they didn't respond. Um, and I think there's something about that word, like re-onboarding that just feels like a lot. Like, yeah, what does that mean? And so um, instead, if you kind of pivot that into something that is very specific, which is like, hey, we will help you with a workspace refresh. We're gonna come in and we're gonna help you with your tags and organize your content. And a lot of that is what we would do in onboarding anyway, um, but just using that term workspace refresh versus re-onboarding just felt like a, a lighter lift and um, more engaging and yeah, just like felt really tactical. Like, okay, I know there are steps I can take to re-tag my content and reorganize it. Yeah, I think that it, it comes back to your experimentation approach. It's so important to... I mean, we're always hacking at these things because you're trying to get people's attention. If you're using the wrong words, it's not going to work. If you're using the wrong methods to contact people, it's not going to work. So like having this mindset of experimentation around, I mean, you could probably say that it doesn't even have to be scaled success. It's almost anything in business and it goes well beyond, you know, being a startup. You can do these kind of things as you grow and get larger as well. And I think some of the best companies do. I think we talked about Amazon in their experimentation, they track experiments the way you all do, which is you know, very cool. I don't know if they got that from you or you got that from them. So it's it's hard to say for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they probably got it from you. They got it from me. <laughs> oh yeah. And I have a strategic team run these types of experiments as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's not just for scale. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So you do that with your CSMs, the ones who are high touch. Yeah. White glove. Yeah. They're, they're running experiments too. And, and their biggest learning is, like the most important thing, I know this is a scale success podcast, but the most important thing in the strategic world is partnering on strategic initiatives. 
Um, they've, they, you know, they've tried the mass email campaigns, um, you know, trying to get into leadership, birds of a feather session, all of those things are important, but like what's really key is partnering on those strategic initiatives, like a hackathon or find out what their OKRs are. We had one customer who they wanted to increase their demo culture um, for product demos and get people more involved. And so um, they had an OKR of recording X amount of demos in a quarter. So that 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 was that actually worked out well for Loom, but also the great strategic initiative to partner on. That's great. I mean, yeah, if you can get, uh, it, yeah, we we could go into like the high touch motion for a second, but if you can get very specifically attached to something that's already in motion within that company and say, well, gosh, you got to use Loom to achieve that goal. You can, that's where the CS role really shines because they can connect it with the business outcome. Um, exactly. To use yeah. the word outcome, I know you don't love that one. No, I, I think it's, it's important as long as that it's also driving adoption um, because- That's right. Especially with like, we talked about this, but procurement teams, it's like, even if you, you've gone high and you have leadership involved, if they're like, hey, we're able to get this value and pay less because we don't need as many licenses, they're going to do that. So I think making sure you're parlaying that into adoption is key. Yep, ab absolutely. So um, in terms of how, I know you had to convince your leadership team to to think about the people a little differently and how you sort of shuffled. It's not do more with less, it's do different, like do things yeah. differently with, with what you have. But did you have to make any technology investments to to start to do some of the the scaling work that you've done? Yeah. Um, so we actually had a CS tool that we were using, and um the sales team didn't have visibility into the CS tool. And that was just creating a lot of friction. And so um I kind of did the whole, okay, let's get people process and then we can go into tooling. So we actually kind of took a step back. Um, and we really started leveraging Salesforce outreach and a tool called POCUS, um, which is a PLG tool. It really helps you. It's, it kind of just, it uses if and or logic to surface um, kind of inflections in how people are using your product. So it makes it a lot easier to segment. Um, and so between Salesforce outreach and POCUS, um, we were able to accomplish a, a lot of what we needed to accomplish. And the best part was, was that now sales and success are all operating out of the same tools. I think that's really, really helpful. Um, so you can start to see all of the touch points along the customer journey. That's very cool. Yeah. And that, that is the challenge I would say with, um, yeah, everybody wants control over something so they don't have to go to the Salesforce administration team to make the changes they need to do the, to track the things in the customer experience that they need to track. But um, that, that can result in silos, right? If that, all that data is not written back. So I, I love this approach. Can you say a little bit more about how POCUS works? Cause that's, that's, uh, that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. So it, cool too. yeah. So it kind so essentially you have a, a, you'll write out a goal. Like you might have a goal. That's an onboarding goal. Like my goal is to get these enterprise customers on onboarded. Um, and then it's if, and or logic to say like, if, SSO is turned on and uh, skim is turned on and they're at this percentage of adoption, then they fall into this grouping. If not, they fall into this grouping. So it allows you to kind of segment and bubble up. And then it pushes customers into those groupings. 
Um, and then you push them into an outreach campaign, depending on which grouping they fall into. So like okay. if those turned off, then it'll go into an outreach campaign that encourages them to um, set up their SSO and enterprise settings. That is so cool. So then you must integrate POCUS directly with your product data in some form or fashion. Yeah. Yeah. So POCUS has all of our, our user data. So we just kind of can push those users into an outreach campaign instead of having to like go download your contacts, upload them into outreach. Um, so we, we can push users that hit certain criteria. Um, and this is coming down the line, but POCUS is also um, coming out with a reporting feature that actually allows you to assess like were your campaigns successful or not based on if the certain grouping hit goal or not, like what percentage of users that went through this grouping hit the goal that you set for them. So that's, right. that's going to be really exciting too. I, lo I love the idea of even, even with Salesforce being such a big monolithic thing now, it's really cool to think about decomposing whether it's Salesforce or the different customer engagement functions that you're trying to automate, like decomposing all that into a set of more focused and streamlined tools that work really well together. Because all the tools sort of, they they can work better together, even if they're coming from different companies these days, because everybody's API first, it feels like, or should be if they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, yeah. And it's just about getting your data to the right place, like bad data in, bad data out. So, and like starting with, you can start really simple, like even with our like quote unquote health score, we start really, really simple. Um, like I, I mentioned that utilization score. So um, it doesn't have to be like the most complex thing when you're thinking about scale and trying to incorporate everything, like keep it simple. Um, and then again, you can have like someone who's managing this book to reach out, you know, through the right medium at the right time um, to gather more feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think even at scale, when you're a big company, if you're not making this kind of stuff simple, it's just not going to work. Like no, these complex health scores and everything else, like what, what you're doing is you're, you're saying, all right, there's these different situations and I'm going to push customers into different segments, depending on which situation they're facing right now. And then I'll prioritize the segments and how I communicate with them. That's really the the critical thing is what are you going to do? Who cares what the score, quote unquote, score exactly. is, right? Exactly. It's like, what do I do with that? Especially if it's got a lot of different factors in it. So yeah. very cool. All right. I, I'm definitely going to look into POCUS now because I'm I'm sort of excited about that. Yeah. Um, really, it's also like a really, um, we're using on the CSI, but really great for product-led growth sales teams too, for if anyone right. sales later listening to this podcast, um, really helpful in bubbling up and helping with your outbound strategy. Okay, that's cool. Well, that could benefit us too. So you <laughs> sounds like you are an advocate for POCUS, which is cool. Yeah, great <laughs> that's great. Um, all right. So um, I guess maybe maybe last topic we'll cover is like ha with all of these sort of these things, like when, when you're when you're starting to layer in scaled programs, sometimes it can feel like you're taking things away from the customer if you're if you're reducing the amount of you know, high touch, you know, CSM time that they get from your team. Did you have to deal with any of that? And and how did you communicate both intern? Because sometimes the sales team doesn't understand. They're like, wait a minute, you're not going to be like on, you know, eight phone calls with a customer this month. Like what, what is the customer going to do? But how, so how did you communicate with sales? Obviously you had to communicate with your team, the changes you were making there. And then did you have to communicate with the customer base directly about the changes you were making or did it just... How did you do all that? Yeah. Big uh, 
So I think that is probably something that people are scared of when making these changes, but truthfully, like your customers are really, really busy. And if they like, they don't want to have monthly check-ins with you. They don't want to do quarterly QBRs. Like, um, actually Brittany mentioned this to me. I like, I was just saying like things that don't drive impact, but she actually used the word that she learned at CS100, which is like shadow services, which are like things that you offer that aren't actually driving impact. I mean, I love that term. Um, and so we actually have not seen as much blowback as you would expect because one, we also specialize, our customer success team is not support. So if our customers have like technical support questions that are more reactive versus proactive, they're going to support anyway. So really keep that in mind. Um, and then otherwise, like I, I think everyone's happy to get the time back and just be learning in a more efficient manner. What I mean by that is attending webinars, watching things on their own time via Loom. Like you mentioned the sales team and like, hey, like we really want you to join pre-sales and talk about onboarding. Brittany has recorded a Loom that pretty much addresses every situation for onboarding. Like how we run an impact discovery, which is where we like understand success metrics, how we work with business leaders, what our onboarding timeline looks like, what we expect from you. So she's recorded all of these Looms that the salesperson can send to their prospects and then they can watch them on their own time. So people are are most often happy to get the time back. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a common um, misconception, I think, especially when you have executives, right? If CEO, especially founder types, because they care so much, they, they want to smother the customer with love, right? But sometimes smothering them with love means giving them ways to learn and engage and get supported asynchronously as opposed to like, it doesn't have to all be like this, as long as they know how to get in touch with somebody if they need to. I mean, yeah. no, we don't all need more Zoom calls in our lives, right? right? So I think I think the the pandemic and the digital transformation that we went through and are still going through as part of that has actually probably paved the way a lot for this whole scaled customer success concept to take hold because nobody really wants to share about their dog anymore it's right. you know, <laughs> their kids right it's like yeah i got kids you got kids that's cool but i'm trying to get my job done so i can log off a of zoom for the day <laughs> yeah and i mean like even because i i do like to take in information from peers and like i love listening to the gang grow routine podcast and i feel like i'm being too transparent but i'll like fast forward through the get to know you parts and i'm like just tell me like a, a use case tell me what i should be doing and so i think that's like really what people are craving right now is like we're, we're all busy. We're on Zoom a lot. Like, let's, let's get to the point and let, let me like learn, learn something. Um, and actually if I were to summarize and like, I, I think like learnings from this podcast, hopefully people are taking away, um, is to like, just be really specific and really tangible when you're building out scaled customer success. Like you don't need lofty thought leadership, like just, um, you know, driving use cases and like, helping people get to where they need to go, explaining, you know, what's in it for them is, is really key. Yeah. That is, that is a perfect way to sum it up. We'll just leave it at that. that that's awesome. Um, so if people want to reach out to you, are you okay with that? Like where, where, where could they, where could they find you? Yeah. You can definitely find me on LinkedIn or you can always email me at Tessa at loom.com. So it's a simple one. I've been there for a while. So I've, I just got the Tessa at loom.com. Coveted first name email address. Yes. It's very mm -hmm. cool. Very cool. Well, I am so glad that you and I got to meet in person. That was really fun. 
And then really appreciative of you taking the time to do this. And I think this is this has been packed full. I've got a whole page full of notes here on things that I want to go research and follow up on. So thank you for doing it. I think people are going to learn a lot from this one, Tessa. So. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jay. Appreciate your time. All right. Have a great weekend. Hey, everybody. Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community it's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one -on -one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in-person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon. Mm -hmm.